Welcome to Vedic Mythology, Music, and Mantras. I'm Ben Collins. This podcast is presented, as always, by Pujanet, P-U-J-A dot N-E-T, your Vedic resource on the web. This is the fourth part of our series based on the ancient Sri Kanda Puranam by Kachipashivacharya. This Purana tells the story of Subramanyam, the son of Shiva, who was born to rid the universe of the demons Taraka and Surapadman. In the last episode, the demons needed to repopulate their ranks, and Mai managed to seduce the great Rishi Kashyapa. As is usual in these stories, the resulting demon children spring to life immediately, three of them as a result of Mai and Kachapa's passion, and the other 100,000 from the beads of their sweat. One might wonder just what a demon is, and it seems from some of the stories that they are some hideous human-like form with, as we saw in the last episode, grotesque facial features and immense power. But always the stories of the Vedic tradition have to be seen as symbolic, and all the stories about the battles between the gods and the demons are in some way like our own struggle to find the balance between the material and the spiritual side of life. These stories also celebrate the wonderful quirks of human nature. Even the powerful rishis like Kashyapa are occasionally blind to what is happening and make astonishing blunders or the gods who have such incredible powers of knowing are unaware of things that are happening right before them. But it makes the stories relevant and accessible to us, not to mention a lot more entertaining. So, it seems that Kachapa was perhaps a little naive about the nature of his relationship with Surasai, also known as Mai. He was telling all his children the story of Markandeya and Shiva, and how the young boy was rescued from the grip of Yama, the Lord of Death, through the use of the Mrtinjaya mantra, Triambakam Yajamahe, Sugandhim Pushtivartanam, Urvarukamivar Bantanan, Mrityor Mukshiyamamrita Ate. He concluded his telling of the story by admonishing his sons, I have shown you the merits of meditation and the devotion to the divine. Follow this path of meditation at all costs. It is the only path to liberation. But Mai overheard him and looked at him as if he were a complete idiot. Are you kidding me? she exclaimed. What you say is correct for sages, but these young children need to be told how to obtain wealth, victory, happiness, and longevity. Of what use is all this talk of enlightenment? Such lofty goals are not for them. As you might imagine, Kashapa was not terribly happy to hear this, and perhaps the reality of his situation began to dawn on him. Fine, he said. If that's what you desire for your children, then you should teach them yourself. My dear children, she began, forget about all this lofty philosophy your father has been telling you. Of what use is spirituality if you do not already have wealth, power, and happiness? The devas are your enemies, and you must first gain the power to defeat them. Go now to Uttarabhumi in the north and perform yagyas for Shiva, who will give you all the powers you need. So she taught them the rules and the mantras and the procedures for the yagyas that they were to perform, and as soon as they left, Maya started to gather her things and make ready to leave herself. But Kashyapa begged her to stay. You old fool, she said. 
I came here to have children, not to live with you or serve you. Please try to understand, I and my... That means illusion, and I am the essence of that. And with that she disappeared, and all the wonderful palaces she had created disappeared with her. Kashyapa felt foolish and sad, and as he sat there, before him appeared Brahma the Creator, who said, My dear son, I feel badly for you. You have mastered the Vedas and the other Shastras. You have gained much power and deep insight. But look, now you have lost it. All you can do is start again. Go resume your meditations. And so Kashyapa returned to his little hut to meditate again. Meanwhile, Surapadman, the eldest of the newly born demon sons, traveled north with his two brothers and the one hundred thousand demons they had created. The earth shook in fear. Now demons have a guru, and his name is Shukracharya. And in the same way that Subramanyam embodies the energy of Mars, Shukracharya embodies the energy of the planet Venus, or Shukra in Sanskrit. In Jyotish, Shukra, or Venus, owns the materialistic signs of Taurus and Libra. Taurus is strong and attractive, while Libra is smooth and diplomatic. And it is said that Shukracharya got his job because he's such a diplomat that it was only he who could charm the demons into listening. He genuinely helps and guides them against the devas. And it's odd because the asuras are free to perform yagyas to gain strength and that when they do tapas or long mantra meditations, Either Shiva or Brahma appear to grant them their wishes, even when they go and use the power to torment the devas until someone really powerful, and frequently this is some form of the goddess, has to come along and clean things up. The purpose of this is unclear other than to say that it is the interchange of the material and the spiritual that makes the cosmos continue in all its complicated glory. It's a little reminiscent of the story in which Shiva or Vishnu wanted the creation to get going, and so they, wanted, they went to Brahma and asked him to start things up. Well, Brahma wasn't sure quite what to do, so he started by making six sons. But once they were created, they ran off and started meditating so that they could attain liberation, merge again with Brahman from which they were created. Well, Brahma was not sure what to do, and so he, as the story goes, thought he would try something different, and he created man and woman, and then, in his final stroke of genius, created sex. And so now life was sufficiently complicated that the creation continued and continued, and continued much the same way as we have seen in this story between Kashyapa and Mai. And back to this story, Shukracharya was greatly impressed and wanted to meet Surapadman, who was equally glad to meet him. Interestingly, the first thing that Shukracharya did was to teach him the written Jaya mantra, saying, My dear Ashura, chant, chant this mantra every day. Give up everything that weakens you. Murder, lust, falsehood, control your senses, and start your meditation. So with a great sense of purpose, Surapadman set off for the Himalayas. Once he reached his destination, he created a huge clearing in the midst of a forest of banyan trees. He made a single homokund in the center, which was surrounded by a hundred and eight more fire pits, or homokunds, and they in turn were surrounded by a thousand and eight homokunds. 
All the other asuras and their armies busied themselves by gathering all the ingredients needed for the powerful yagyas that they were to perform. Surapadman made the offerings in the central fire. Simamukkan supervised the offerings in the next ring of a hundred and eight fires. And Taraka supervised the offerings in the outermost ring of a thousand and eight fires. As the text says, the yagyas went on for ten thousand years which probably really means just a very, very long time. But even then, Shiva did not appear, and Surapadman grew je- dejected. Not knowing what to do, he started to cut his skin and offered his blood into the fire like ghee. But still, Shiva did not come, and Surapadman eventually grew increasingly more annoyed and wondered just what it was that Shiva wanted. So he started to cut off various parts of his body and offer them into the fire. But as he did, they grew right back. Surapadman was at his wit's end, and in an act of complete desperation, he flung himself into the fire, which flared up and consumed him completely. Seeing this, his brother Simamukan was lost in grief, and he cut off all one thousand of his own heads and threw them into the fire. But they, true, but they too instantly regrew themselves. Simamukan and Tarakan were about to throw themselves into the fire, as their brother had done when a simple Brahmin man walked up. Of course, it was Shiva in disguise. He asked them why they were all crying so much, and they explained about the loss of their brother. The Brahmin calmed them and said that he would bring them back to life, and with a wave of his hand, the river Ganges started to flow through their compound, as it washed into the Homakund, Surapadman jumped out, shouting, much to the delight of the brothers and the army of the Asuras. Shiva, assuming his normal form, stood before them with his wife Parvati. Everyone fell at their feet in devotion, acclaiming their kindness and power, and Shiva was now ready to grant the Asura brothers a boon. My lord, Surapadman started out, I want to be the commander of the whole world. Everyone must be under my command, and I want to be able to travel any place I wish, and for that I will be needing a divine chariot. I wish never to meet my end, and I wish to conquer Vishnu and all of the devas. Shiva agreed and made him supreme commander of one thousand and eight worlds out of the universal total of one hundred million but only for a, read, a period of 108 yugas, which actually is millions of years. But then Shiva additionally gave him weapons, great strength, and another army of 10,000 newly created creatures. Shiva similarly gave the brothers Taraka and Simamukan the blessings of great strength and promised that none of them would be overthrown by anyone other than Shiva himself. There was great joy among the Asuras, and Surapadman wanted to see his father, whom he knew was a great sage. But during their meeting, Kashyapa was quiet, realizing that the great strength and power of his sons must mean trouble for the Devas. So he didn't know what to say, and then he suggested that they all just go off and see their Acharya, Shukra. Shukra asked them why they had come and they responded by telling him the story of their yagyas and Shiva's gifts. What is our assignment? they inquired. Well, at this point in the story, we get a clue as to the nature of the asuras and what makes them asuras, as opposed to devas. 
Shukracharya teaches them the Maya philosophy of patipashupasham. Essentially, it holds that the concepts of the Lord, the soul, and bondage are all myths. In fact, this philosophy says that the soul and the Lord are indeed not separate, but one. The Lord who has no birth and no death manifests by maya or illusion as the soul in all the creatures of the universe. Whether the bodies are born or perish, he remains untouched, as permanent and immovable as before. Maya is seen as God's play, good and bad, happiness and suffering, are all myths, mere manifestations of Maya. On that basis, this philosophy holds that there is no birth or rebirth, and so even liberation is illusory. There's no karma, because from the level of the unmanifested divine, nothing ever really happens. The events of life are all illusion. A sin committed in this life can have no effect on future lives, because there is no rebirth. We can do what we want because it's all God's actions anyway, and as manifestations of maya, they are, on one hand, a complete illusion, and on the other, have no effect on the eternal, immovable nature of Brahman. But this is a slippery and seductive bit of philosophy. The great mystery of life is how could the infinite Brahman be made to appear as the limited manifestation of creation? Even if there is no easy answer, it does suggest the immense power of the divine which can create something out of nothing. And here we are living our daily lives, running about, doing this and that, worrying, laughing. Where is our connection with Brahman? It certainly isn't visible. We don't walk around feeling all infinite and eternal. The key is, in my opinion, in not letting these apparent realities overlap. It is like looking at a Jyotis chart. When I look at a chart, it is apparent that the individual has certain strengths and certain limitations, and he lives his life within those limitations. I would like to have a new Ferrari, a shiny, nice, red Ferrari, and actually it doesn't even have to be new. But my chart, which is really just a map of my karma, doesn't support that. So I have to live within the context of my chart, and what it allows in the way of life experiences. Like that, from the level of illusion, everything like karma, good and bad, happiness and sadness, exist. In the Gita, Krishna refers to them as the pairs of opposites. When we're caught in the web of maya, they certainly seem real, and if I walk into the middle of the street, the truck that hits me is going to seem pretty real, as are the resulting hospital bills. Still, philosophically, one can say that the, from the perspective of Brahman, nothing happened at all because Brahman never changes, never moves, and never really manifested. So perhaps if we were divine like Shiva, we could walk into the street and simply dematerialize the truck as it is about to hit us. But then again, why would we need to walk into the street? And we wouldn't even really have the need to become Shiva in the first place. But I seem to be Ben Collins, and I seem to be living in the part of this illusion called California. The things I do seem to matter, and the results of what I do certainly come back to either haunt me or bless me. I may indeed be infinite at my core, finding that is the meaning and purpose of spiritual practices. But moral and ethical actions are important, and I cannot take a back seat to the pursuit and enjoyment of material pleasures. 
If you think about this story, that is what's going on. The Ashuras do what they want because they think it won't matter. The Devas seem to be weak because they know that it does matter. So let's see who wins in the end. You have been given a kingdom so large that even the Devas would have a difficult time equaling it, explained Shukracharya. Enjoy it. Indra and the other gods have killed many Ashuras, and so you should subdue them and put them in jail. Make them serve you. Do what you wish. Enjoy your life however you see fit. In the next episode, we will see how powerful these Asuras have really become and how thoroughly they conquer the Devas and make them totally miserable. And since we are talking so much about the Asuras, we will start our chanting selections with Shiva Tandava Stotram, which was written by the great Asura Ravana, who stole Sita, Rama's wife, and is one of the main characters in the great epic called the Ramayana. The first part of his composition is very much in praise of Shiva, and at the end there are a couple of very nice verses that say, When will I be able to worship that eternal Shiva with a feeling of equanimity towards a snake and a garland, towards gems and dirt or friends and enemies, towards a blade of grass and the blossoming lotus, or an emperor and an ordinary man? When will I live the life of pleasure, meditating on Shiva, sitting near a hollow place near the celestial river Ganga, releasing all my bad thoughts and with hands clasped above my head after releasing all passion for the pretty women with shifting eyes. And secondly, since we are also talking so much about Brahma, there is a nice song called the Brahma Kadinga Paduma, which is sung by Subalakshmi, a wonderful and very famous singer from South India. The meaning of the lyrics are that even Brahma finds the feet of Vishnu worthy of worship and that they are in fact Brahma, capable of creating anything a devotee desires. And that'll be all for this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Jatakata Rasambrama Brahmanilimpanitjadi Vilola Viti Vallari Virajamana Murdhani Dhagatagat Dhagatvalalata Pattapava Kekishora Chandra Shekare Rati Pradikshanam Mama Dharadharendra Nandini Vilasa Bandhu Banduras Krapatatakshadorani Niruddha Durdharapadikwa Chittigambare Mano Vinodametu Vastuni Jatabhujanga Pingalas Puratvana Maniprabhata Dambakungu Matrava Pradipta Dikvadhu Muke Madangha Sindhuras Puratva Guttari Yamedure Mano Vinodamatrutam Bibhartu Bhuta Bhartari Sahasralochana prabhratya seshale kashekara prasuna dhuli dhorani vidhusarangri pitabhu. Bhujangaraja malaja nibadha jata jota kashri jaiti raja jaya tamcha kora bandhu shekharaha. 
ललाट चरज्वलधनजय स्फुंग पीतपंचसायक नमिलिंबनायक सुधामयूखलेखया विराजमशेखर महातपाली संपदे शिरोजटालमस्तु नाल बालपट्टिकाधगद्धगद्धगज्वलधनंजयाहुतीत प्रचंड पंचसायक धराधरेन्द्रणम दिदीकुचाग्रचिपत्रक प्रकल्पनेकशिपिनी त्रिलोचनेरतिम नवीन मेघमंडली निरुद्ध दुर्धर स्फुत्कुनी शिथिनी तम प्रबंधबंधकंदर निलिंब निर्झरीधरस्तनोदृतिसिंधुरस्तलाबंधुर श्रिजं जगद्धुरंदर प्रफुलपंकज प्रपंच कालिम प्रभावलबिकंधकंदलीचि प्रबद्धकंदर स्मरक्षिदुरक्षिदिदिद गजक्षिदिदिदिदे अखर्वर्वंगलाकदंबंजरीरस प्रवाहमाधुरी विजृंभना मधुव्रत स्मरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरांतकुरां
ಮುತ್ತ 